You're listening to Lozano Smith's podcast, where we discuss important changes in the law and legal decisions that affect public agencies. Welcome and thank you for joining us on another Lozano Smith podcast. I say another in that we've been on hiatus with COVID-19, and so we're now just getting back on track with, uh, again, starting to push out a podcast as we did prior to the virus, uh, aligning with possibly the June 15th reopening of California by coincidence. I'm Sloan Simmons, a partner at a Lozano Smith Sacramento office, and I am extremely lucky to be joined today by two of our outstanding public finance attorneys and experts reflecting more than 40 years of practice in this area. And specifically today, we're going to talk about EIFDs, Enhanced Infrastructure Financing Districts. Um, That will be led by Konstantin Baranoff, the newest add to our bench of public finance experts. Constantine's focus is on municipal clients, including cities, special districts, school districts, and other governmental entities in relation to public finance and bond council work. EIFDs is also an area of his unique expertise, which will be the the focus of our discussion today. He also does work related to facilities and construction matters. Uh, We are joined also by Dan Maruccia, our uh, public finance co-practice group chair, longtime Lozano Smith leader here in our Sacramento office and in the area of public finance. Dan does a range of things outside of public finance as well and facilities and business and other matters. Before we get, Dan, into EIFDs, I'm going to ask you today to be as as, as, as entertaining as possible with oh, your no. voice. Do not go into the monotone voice oh, as no. we're uh, recording today. Our listeners want to see your emotion. They want to see your emotion. No. Okay. Um, what would you like to add, uh, because you, uh, even more so uh, than I, know greater details as to Constantine's expertise in this area uh, before we get into uh, this important subject? I'm very glad you asked that, Sloan, because um, what I'd like folks to know is that that uh, Mr. Baranoff here is, is not simply an expert, um, but he is really at the forefront of this new tax increment financing vehicle uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Constantine has served on the formation of the state's first EIFD. Uh, that was for the city of West Sacramento. And just uh, uh, just to the east, uh, he also served the city of Sacramento with the creation of an EF- EIFD for public infrastructure associated with the new uh, MLS soccer stadium in the city's rail yard. So, so we really are lucky not just to have Constantine as a member of our firm, um, not just to have him as a member of our group, but he brings um, an, a, a unique and singular expertise to this work that uh, that other folks just can't boast about. So it's a, it's a glowing Constantine, have. glowing and rightfully so. And I think we would have recorded this probably. I think our initial plans to do this was what six months ago, maybe even earlier than that. Um, I came here seven months ago. So okay. We're looking at October, November, I think. Yeah, right around there. And so sure. the delay has been a long time coming. Yeah, and in fact, in preparing as best as I can or how I do it <clears> to be able to ask the dumb questions today, I, I found a document put out by the California Community Economic Development Association, Enhanced Infrastructure Financing Districts, the Resource Guide. And as I turn to the back, sure enough, there's Constantine as one of the consultants that I told helped you. put it together. 
So, Constantine, uh, before we start going into details about EIFDs, can you just very briefly for our listeners remind us of the old, now obsolete RDAA structure and system for, for financing? Well, I'm happy to be here today. Thank you for that introduction, Sloan and Dan. In terms of the redevelopment universe that existed prior to this dissolution 2012, uh, redevelopment in California uh, was a very robust platform in, in uh, utilizing tax increment. Redevelopment agencies addressed blight in areas throughout California, and they were independent uh, legislative bodies that had a whole host of authority. Uh, in addition to financing and using tax increment, they also had the ability to acquire property via eminent domain and and uh, build facilities. Now this power evaporated in 2012 when redevelopment agencies were dissolved. And the municipalities in California, such as cities and counties, were really left without a tool to continue to use tax increment. The creation of enhanced infrastructure financing districts was an attempt to move back into the tax increment field. And what was created was kind of a, a the slogan uses redevelopment light or redevelopment 2.0. Some of the powers that redevelopment agencies used to have uh, was recreated under the auspices of the Enhanced Infrastructure Financing District, such as the ability to finance and the ability to harness tax increment. So, Constantine, my, my first non-public finance question for you, just as in terms of the language used, what do you mean when you say tax increment? Tax increment is a reallocation of your property tax. It's the property tax that you and I pay on our homes or a commercial landlord owner pays on their building. Uh, it's that 1%. And the tax increment takes a piece of the increase in that assessed value from the base year. So if your property is, is uh, reassessed, meaning it's acquired or developed and the assessed value goes up, the tax increment goes up quickly. If it's just held by by you or the owner for for a long time, then tax increment grows slower. And okay. we'll get in we'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, so with that RDA background, how is tax increment financing implemented in California uh, since that dissolution of, of RDAs? Sure. Well, Enhanced Infrastructure Financing Districts, EIFDs for short, um, they really are empowered to finance a broad range of infrastructure in California. Streets, highways, flood control, uh, affordable housing is also an important element. Uh, the EIFD law provides, now it's been amended, provides for the creation of an independent authority called a public financing authority. And this authority implements the plan. It's called the Infrastructure Financing Plan. We'll talk about that and what it does. It also is empowered to issue bonds secured by the tax increment. Now, generally the EIFD formation process is, is patterned after uh, the Melarus Act. That's the act that a lot of people uh, see special taxes on the property tax bills, that's the Melarus Act. Uh, the statute was in somewhat designed uh, 
using the, the rubric of the Malarusek. Uh, you adopt many of the same resolutions. You define an area where the tax increment is to be collected from. Um, Are there, there limits on the size of, of the area that can be established? Or does the statutes themselves put restraints on the size of the PFA or what, what boundaries the PFA is covering? The size of the EIFD boundaries are, short answer, no. You've got practical considerations that if you have a city or a county establishing the EIFD, they can't go beyond their jurisdictional boundaries. Uh, however, if you have a multi-agency EIFD that consists of a city and a county or multiple states and a county, uh, you could form an EIFD that could cover you know, three cities within a county and additional county boundary. You're probably uh, restricted by the ultimate county boundary. Okay, so you couldn't have one one count one city in Sac County and another one in Yolo. Probably that probably hasn't not happened. hasn't been thought through. I possibly in the future, but I don't I don't think that's the statute. Nobody's really interpreted that to to allow for that at this time. Another layman's question for me, Constantine, when you say you, you gave a laundry list there of kind of some of the projects that are permitted there, is that too restrained by the statutes or do the statutes give flexibility as to uh, kind of what may or may not fit into uh, the EIFD framework? No, it's pretty expansive. They can finance any real or tangible property with an average life of uh, 15 years or greater. Similar to CFDs then? Right that way too. Yeah, I, I had a question. Is it is it similar to CFDs in the sense also that you can have improvements existing outside of the the boundaries of the EIFD? You like, could, you okay. could, as long as there's a tangible connection. Okay. To the uh, to the plan. So really, this model, you know, substantially after the Melarus Act and CFDs that flow from that, right? Okay. Except for the introduction of the public financing authority, okay. which you don't have that in Melarus use the legislative body of the agency which created it to effectively run the CFD. Here you've got an independent financing authority It's made up of membership of the, of the uh, participating legislative body members, city council or county board of supervisors, plus two members of the public. So it's, it's a little, it's, it's a different uh, governance structure. Are there pros and cons to the, to the PFA model as opposed to um, the one under Melrose, in terms of membership on that. Yeah, I mean they're they're different. I mean you can't have um, the same members serve at the same time. Uh, you can't have concurrent. Well, you can't have meetings running at the same time. In public finance, you have financing authorities that are not the PFA financing authorities, but a different type of authority. And they are consisting of the membership of exactly the same membership of the city council or the same membership of the county board of supervisors. So what that does is it's efficient. It allows for uh, the county board of supervisors to hold their meeting at the same time hold their financing authority meeting. You can't do that here because they're different members. What's that? Was there an intentionality behind that separation? I. Good question. It's a good question. I don't know. I would imagine so, but yeah. but I, I don't know. I think legislators probably thought it was more if there is, I'm not really sure what the what the goal would be or what the fear or, or concern would be, frankly. Um, 
it's it's a commonplace for every situation, every CFD situation um, that is not a joint CFD where you've got multiple governing bodies that are members of of that or of that CFD. Um, outside of that, it's it is always um, or prohibitively uh, the case that it's the same board members. So, for example, if it's if it's a CFD that's created by a school district, the board of the CFD are the same members as as that of the school district. Now, uh, in the the EIFD context. So, Dan, I hear you talking about school districts, and I know that they they can be involved with CFDs. Do schools and community college districts, are they in the mix no. on, on the EIFDs? They are They're not. explicitly prohibited from participating in the EIFD process um, directly as, a, as contributing their tax increment through the EIFD. Okay. So cities and counties. Special prime, districts. Special districts. Perhaps, yeah. if, if they get property taxes, some special districts get very little. Okay. Um, and others get, depending upon how they were structured and incorporated, they, you know, they get more. How, sorry, Dan. No, no, no. So, so while, so while a, a, a CFD can be formed by either a city, for example, or any other kind of muni right. and a school district, an EFID excludes school districts and community schools. college districts from that. Now, how does that PFA... Um, a public finance authority, Constantine, how does that interact with the ultimate plan that gets used in the EIFD process? Well, let's talk about formation. Okay. Um, you have a city or county which adopts a resolution of intention. That sets the process going. And they direct, they define the area, they define the facilities, and they also start the process to form the public financing authority. Public financing authority is then established by, is organized, the members are appointed, and then they hold their first organizational meeting, followed by a second resolution, which basically commissions the creation of the infrastructure financing district report, the plan. That takes some time. That takes special consultants and staff to develop the plan. It's kind of like a playbook. It outlines what the facilities are, how much tax increments you're going to be pulling from all your participating taxing entities, um, how long it's going to last. EIFD has a finite term, 45 years from the date of the first bond issuance. Uh, if you never issue bonds, it can continue for much longer than that. And then uh, following the first PFA hearing and the commissioning, the first PFA meeting and the commissioning of the IFD report or the plan, um, the statutes have been changed. So now instead of having just one hearing, you have three hearings. And these hearings are spaced 30 days apart. So in the past, you could get an EIFD formed in approximately 60 to 90 days. Now you're looking at probably, depending upon how schedules are for, for meetings and, and noticing, you're probably looking at about six months, six to nine months to get the thing done. Um, so that significantly lengthened uh, the formation process. When did that new additional hearing requirement or requirements yeah. come into play? That became effective in 2020, January 2020. And so we did a 
EIFD under that new statute for a county. And uh, it added, we started in March and we finished, well, we started early in March. We started pre-pandemic, pandemic hit, we continued moving on, and then we got it done by September of last year. That, was there a reason behind? Were they intentionally trying to slow down the process? Is that the idea of the additional I think, hearing? I don't know. I think they 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 patterned it after um, some other tax increment um, acts that are in the uh, government code. Uh, they patterned it after the, uh, the some affordable housing tax increment districts. That were put, that were created since the dissolution of redevelopment, and uh, that's where all the hearing requirements came from. I don't know the, the logic of why they wanted to put those requirements on. It seemed a pretty efficient process in the past, but uh, yeah, it's what it is. Right. Got to right. try to develop the timeline and then and, and uh, talk to the client and tell them, hey, you got another another notices and no, more publications and more hoops to go through. Um, the voting requirements um, were introduced in the IFD formation process. Um, and with the amendments to the statutes, what they say is you have a vote, you must have a vote after the third public hearing is between 25 and 50 percent of the Authorized representatives, meaning the residents or the landowners residing within the bound residing within the boundaries of the EIFD protest. Mm -hmm. If you have that, you've got an election. If you're over fifty percent, the proceedings are terminated. Mm -hmm. There is no you're, you're done for That's like CFDs as well. Now, if you don't have a protest, if you don't have a twenty-five percent or more. 25 to 50% protest, you don't need an election. Mm. The thing is formed after the hearing process, and you don't need an election to issue bonds. And I think the theory of why you don't issue, you don't need an election to issue bonds is because you're not imposing a new tax mm. on people. Yeah, you're redirecting a property tax which <clears throat> everybody already pays. And that's something that uh, takes a little bit of, of uh, Explanation yeah. to people because every time people hear about taxes, as they, you know, as they should, they think, "Oh, it's another tax." It's like, no, this is a redirection of taxes that you're paying. Mm -hmm. And if the plan is designed correctly, and the facilities are built, um, the property tax increment should increase, and uh, everybody benefits. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, Constantine, are with this EIFD model, are they being com combined at this point with other types of public finance tools? That's a good question. I think the thing to, to consider is that tax increment can either move very slowly, if property is, is just held and not reass and reassessed at the 2% level every year, or if property is developed like a stadium or a large office park the assessed value goes up very high. And it's because tax increment, for the most part, will take time to spool up. Um, public finance consultants and underwriters and practitioners um, basically said, look, we need a, another 
financing tool to be added to this, they call it the capital stack to develop something, to finance something. And so the idea is, is that you would do an overlay of a Melarus district or an overlay of an assessment district um, into the financing matrix. And the idea is, is that the Melarus or the assessment districts, they can create revenues fairly quickly. If you impose a new tax on property, that tax will be payable uh, if the formula allows for it, it will be payable the next year. And so you could bond on that quicker, quickly. Tax increment, you may not have a sufficient amount of tax revenues to tax increment revenues to bond against for five, seven, ten years. Okay. And so the idea is, is that you create a financing uh, platform where the Melarus or the assessments start generating revenue really fast. The tax increment starts generating revenue slower, but eventually it overtakes the Melarus district. And the Melarus or the assessment district starts revenues, demand starts declining, tax increment takes over. And the benefit of that is that not only do you, do you, you can combine two or three different revenue sources, but you also don't put the load on one revenue source too, too heavy of a load. And since Melarus districts and assessments districts are, you know, Melarus districts take a vote, assessment districts take the majority protest. If you take the load off those two and, and kind of use the tax increment district to, 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 uh, to take the burden off, I think they, they become much more politically palatable Got it. Well, to seek approval. Yeah, uh, yeah, that plus the idea, if I'm reading it correctly, is that you are taking the load off a new tax burden mm -hmm. because uh, tax increment uh, financing vehicles, you're just working with what's already there. And so in the absence of, of this vehicle, you are relying solely on other vehicles under other authorities that necessarily means new taxes entirely, right? So you're ameliorating that impact on additional taxes or the need for additional taxes. Is that right? Okay. right. So that ought to be very attractive to to munis up and down the state. Yeah, that's the that's the concept. The the trick is to. Um, I think make sure the communication and the messaging goes out correctly because yeah. with the hearing notices that go, that go out for tax increment districts, people see tax increment. Right. You got to educate people. This is not a new tax. Um, and if you combine those financing formation of the assessment district or CFD and a DIFD at the same time, um, people don't understand it. You may have people saying, "Well, you're imposing two taxes on me, or two set, two, two, two things." Right. And so, communications is is key, and that's something we're working on right now on an, on another um, project that we're, we're finding communication is very important. Yeah. Well, and since Prop 13 and 218, and more recently with AB 195, you know the the the, the theme of of these, you know, of that runs through all of those things that cover decades. You know, of California history is to make is to get the get the people's attention on new tax right um, at the same time that we are limiting local government's ability to to do exactly that without you know without limiters and, and governors on that right um, so yes I, I think for for a lot of you know for a lot of municipalities that are interested in this 
in order to um, make it attractive, it, it, it does seem to be you know, a, a great deal of the burden does seem to be on that on that communication piece. Very much so. Yeah. AB 195 just a few years ago. I mean, it was you know, anytime you've got a, a, a new measure that raises um, tax or creates a new tax, you have to you have to in, install some some disclosures in a very limited uh, 75 word statement that every voter sees. And if and if this, um, I don't know what your, you know, what our position would be, or what your position would be on this. If you had an election, that's probably not something that you would have to put in the seventy-five word statement, because it doesn't raise any tax. I, as yeah. the as the non-public finance guy, I'm fully getting how, because one, it makes a ton of sense to me the benefits that you're talking about with the overlay of these multiple yeah. tools being used at once. A ton of sense, but I can also see as a constituent not grasping you know without a very clear communication plan how they're interacting and how in fact by doing this 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 overlay of pieces is in the end not only better for my community um, based on what's going to be these funds are going to be used for but that i'm not how there's a benefit to doing it all these ways but it'd be very easy to you know turn the blinders on and be like well it sounds like there sounds like there's a lot of taxes they're just yeah. doing a bunch of new taxes it says tax i right. don't know on everything right. like even at the start when the terminology tax increment mm -hmm. you know i i would assume that you know as i did coming into it i had a meaning in my mind for it that wasn't accurate find efids near new publicists i think is, is what the <laughs> right. right you know one other thing that comes up um among the public is since you're reallocating property taxes and it's the money that flows to the general fund of the city or the county uh, there is people get concerned of saying are you taking money away from something else mm -hmm. and these VIFDs people need to remember that they only work if tax increment increases if the facilities that are built and financed by these EIFDs work, tax increment increases at a level that makes financial sense and you can issue bonds and you can, you can build these things. If they don't work, then nobody wins. And But if they work, the tax increment goes up, there should be more money for police, fire, and municipal services because you increase the value of property within the community. You build those flood projects, you build those right. street improvements, you revitalize that that, that boulevard, or, or you build that, that infrastructure surrounding a, that soccer stadium, and the value of the property goes up and more money flows. But without it, it just will stay stagnant. Right. And in, in other words, is this, tell me if I'm following you correctly, in other words, unless property values increase, then the, the increment does not increase. and as a direct consequence of, of those things, uh, there is no debt that could be issued anyways. There's no there's no tax base to support that debt, right? So things have to be, in other words, things really have to be working in order for you get to a place where you could issue bonds that is leveraged on and serviced by that tax increment in the first place. Right, the plan needs to be solid. It needs to create something that's that, that gets things moving and, and, and going. You need you need project proponents. You need 
you need uh, enthusiasm in the community to get things going. Without that, if, the ta- if nothing's built, that, that tax increment doesn't, it's not being, if, if the land is not being acquired and redesigned and rebuilt and revitalized, the system doesn't, it, it's, just, it's not designed to work, it just, it just won't work. You're, you're knee-jerk, I'm curious. Did, if, if, and I know that it doesn't replace uh, RDAs wholly, right? Um, either theoretically or actually, but does it seem to be a more efficient vehicle for for it, the purpose? Um, does does EFID seem to be an improvement upon RDAs? Um, is it are they too different? Are the purposes too different to compare? Are they apples think, and oranges? I think they're. I think. I mean, RDAs could do a lot of stuff. I think they're more, they just could do a lot more stuff. EIFDs are very limited purpose. They can only finance at this time. Maybe maybe people will, will change it. Maybe the legislature will change it. So they're really just a limited purpose. They can, they can finance mm-hmm. and that's all they can do. They can't buy property, they can't develop it. Um, so okay. they're just different. So Constantine, what do you, uh, what do you, what's the future for, yeah. for EIFDs? Um, well, let's see. I think we talked about the stadium projects. I mean, you, you want a, a project where something is going to be uh, built that creates a lot of value. Uh, stadium construction, you have a property, all of a sudden you build a multi-million dollar stadium, property values go up, not only for the stadium footprint, but the area around it, people want to live there. The railroad yards is a great example. Uh, some high-level uh, commercial development, high-rise, same, same, same concept. Um, the other one, I think, is really, really the some of the, the future uh, projects are like the one we're working on for flood control. Um, you can span multiple jurisdictions to uh, tackle a regional flood control problem, and you can unite cities and the counties together, create a, a body. That, that harnesses all the tax increment from all those agencies and funnel it to finance a portion of a regional flood control project. You couldn't do that with tax increment. Um, well, the way flood control used to, what well, is, is tackled and was previously tackled before uh, we, we, we started working on this for, for flood control is through assessments. You would have a special benefit assessment be levied by a regional joint powers authority, and that was really how in, um, the local uh, entities finance flood control. This adds another level of, of, of revenue for the flood control project and kind of takes the pressure off the assessments. Um, there's another concept that uh, we've been looking at over the years is uh, freeway overlays. I don't know if anybody's familiar with it. Now, that. what does that mean? Well, you know, California's got plenty of freeways, and a lot of these freeways bifurcate below grade uh, communities. They not well, they, they cut through communities below grade. Okay, you, so you go over, you you, you have overpasses. Uh, Los Angeles has mm-hmm. lots of right, yeah. Bay Area, right? And so the concept that that I and some of my other uh, colleagues and consultants were devising is 
You know, freeway overlays could be financed through EIFDs. And these freeway overlays cover, cap, these, these bifurcations of, of the below grade freeways. So you cap the freeways. And all of a sudden you create new real estate and you, com you unite communities that used to be divided and can only be accessed by a bridge. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got a camp, it could be five acres, it could be 10 acres. Uh, the East Coast has a few of those, like the Hudson uh, project, Hudson uh, with the rail project. Uh, but in California, the concept is, is that you would put a uh, overlay, a cap on top of a freeway, repurpose some uh, freeway property that's no longer necessary, and all of a sudden, you have created, in effect, new property that can be built on, the overlay can be built on, and that could be assessed. And all of a sudden, you had zero assessment of property that didn't exist, right. so that it's worth many millions of dollars. Or it's, a, it's, the, it's a freeway version of the Ponte Vecchio, isn't that, isn't that right? That's yeah. What, isn't that yeah. basically it? Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. And, you did, and you didn't... Uh, there, there that are would some, be Florence. <laughs> there are some there are some challenges to this thing. Uh, in California, the, there are rules. I mean, it's not it, it's been talked about, it's been looked at, but I, I don't think anybody in California has really done it yet. Well, is there a seismic concern? Oh, yeah, there's also our Would the state have to be in agreement to permit you Absolutely. to do it? Right? Yeah, because yeah. it's California's property. Yeah, and it, yeah, sure. Yeah. So we're we're not talking about the inner. We're talking about highways, not interstate. Interstate yeah. highways, yeah. yeah. Well, that does control. We need that. We need the Fed support as well to, to do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Looking. Los right. Angeles. There are some. There are projects picture. in Los Angeles that are looking at it. Um, I've done some presentations with some of those with some of the consultants involved on those projects, and LA's got tons, tons of that stuff. Yeah. And so they, they, they their idea is that you could build a park. Yeah. Right. And all of a sudden, you have a five-acre park in the middle of a place that never had a five-acre green space, and all of a sudden, these these areas next door people want to spruce up their facilities. There's right. more money for this. More people want to live. Your access businesses mm -hmm. want to open up. Mm. I'm picturing sections of the East Bay um, yep. where there's a lot of that same yep. same thing. I guess you can just picture it where if you everything was lifted, what you would have there. Yeah. There are, but you know, don't get me wrong. There are Serious challenges right. associated with it, but it's it's a it's a concept that's been that we did a couple of presentations on, and folks in the, in the Los Angeles area are, are looking at it, um, you know, in, in, a, in a big way. I think that's 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 a that's a you know, that's a really powerful use of the EIFD model for this um, because you can generate a lot of tax increment, you can create a lot of value, you can get property that's a, that's, that's assessed from a, either zero or very low assessed value, all of a sudden increased, and instead of waiting for a period of time for that tax increment to spill up, you can start generating it very quickly. And you're talking about projects, right, that are to the be the direct benefit of the communities you're serving there. That's the right. yeah. Yeah, you benefit the community. You create value uh, where there, where it was, it was leveling out. You increase the value of the property. Um, and uh, it should be, if the plan is designed correctly and implemented correctly, it should be a, a, a winning combination for the community. 
this has been extremely interesting to me. I've learned a ton. I know our listeners are going to learn a ton about this. Um, and, and it seems like a fascinating and really important tool for our, our municipal clients and special district clients and, and cities and counties and special districts around the state to, to grab a hold of and take steps to the, for the benefit of their, their community. Dan, I really appreciate you being here today um, yeah, as, as a co-practice group leader and ask, you asked the smart questions, which I'll, I'll be honest, is not always the case, but today it was. How would you know? Um, I wouldn't. Uh, before we go, I, we're going to be doing another podcast soon about some upcoming um, issues of public finance as we look forward to uh, different election dates that are coming up. Do, do you want to give a, a quick preview of, of dates and events, new developments that in the public finance field that our listeners should be aware of at yeah. this point? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, 2022 is an election year, um, so in the you know in the larger context of of, um, or I should say a smaller context of, of public finance generally with respect to school districts, that, that means that uh, there are election opportunities to bring bond measure, Prop 39 bond measures uh, to the ballot, uh, two of them in, in 2022, uh, June and, and November. And although that seems like a long time off right now, um, it, those had that those school districts and, and other practitioners that have been through the process knows how quickly those those deadlines come up. Uh, so if anybody is interested, uh, we've got a got a big full team of, of professionals with a hundred years plus of public finance experience uh, in school districts and outside of school districts as well uh, to to walk you through that process. The dates themselves uh, for a June election. Uh, next year, uh, you need to submit your, your ballot measures to your county elections officials by March 11th for a November election. That would be November 8th of next year, 2022. Your deadline is August. Uh, there is a, uh, a, a strange uh, potential occurrence this year with the recall election, that being a statewide election, and thus available for piggybacking on um, by school districts again that want to uh, use that opportunity to bring a Prop 39 measure. What makes that peculiar though is that uh, until the Secretary of State tells us uh, what the election day is, we really don't know um, what our deadlines are for, for submitting ballot measures to, to county elections officials, which is um, not an optimal situation, but we but we've come up with some strategies to uh, to assist those that want to give that a shot, notwithstanding what what the what that date turns out to be. And if folks are interested, uh, feel free to give us give us a call. Um, but that's about it for for the for elections. Um, there is a, a new constitutional amendment on the horizon that's working through the legislature right now, and if uh, if approved by the legislature, then it'll be referred to the to the people um, in a statewide election. That's ACA one. Uh, that is, since we're talking about cities and municipalities, that effectively gives a fifty five percent bond measure, just like school districts have has to cities and counties uh. and other munis. It also uh, lowers the vote threshold on parcel taxes to 55% for everybody. Which would be a really big deal, right? Well. I think either of those are really big deals. I mean, the, the, uh, 
the incidence of success of, of, of uh, school district bond measures once Prop 39 passed in 2000 went from 40 to 80 percent um, overnight and stayed that way for a good long time up until recently actually um, when now we're dealing with you know, voter fatigue issues and uh, economic uh, issues which which makes uh, those types of vehicles something that that uh, school district clients are are being sensitive uh, in their approach to uh, but uh, but yeah, some, some interesting things going on. Uh, don't know really what the chances are of the ACA one, we'll see. Uh, but uh, 2022, there will be those two opportunities for school districts and, and others on, on with other vote thresholds to bring uh, bond measures and finance measures to, uh, to the voters. Dan? Sloan. Constantine? Thanks, gentlemen. This was a great discussion. Thank and you. thank you to our, our listeners. Uh, for tuning in to Lozano Smith's podcast today. We encourage you to visit our podcast page at lozanosmith.com forward slash podcast to find links and additional details on some of the topics we discussed today. Also, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thanks, everyone. If you have any questions about this topic, please contact the hosts of this episode or an attorney at any of our eight offices throughout California. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the information contained in this podcast is necessarily general, its application to a particular set of facts and circumstances may vary. For this reason, this podcast does not constitute legal advice. We recommend that you consult with your counsel prior to acting on the information you heard.